Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I'm here with a very, very special guest today who I've wanted to interview since the beginning of time or since I decided to start this podcast, whichever came more recently. And uh, she was able to make some time and sit down and chat with me uh, from Reno. And she is doing some absolutely amazing things that you all need to be aware of. See what you can do to help her or do some work in your own community. There is a link right in the show notes right now that you can click and go to her website and you can donate to either the uh, Harvest for Hope, which is the Thanksgiving portion, or the Village, which is the Christmas portion. And there's a different tab for that. You can also click and go directly to Amazon, and uh, she's got a shopping list that you can choose items that will go directly to her storage location, where she will be putting together meal and uh, packets for the homeless people in Reno, which there are an unfortunate amount of. And uh, so click on those links, see what you can do to help if you don't want to uh, contribute to that. Do something in your own area. Uh, See what you can do to make a difference in people's lives, because that's what we should all be doing whenever we can, is trying to make the world a better place, and Chase is doing it in space. So I could ramble on about a bunch of stuff, but I'd rather not. I'm just going to bring you the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, my dear friend, Chase McKenna. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very, 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 very excited to bring on my next guest. We've known each other for many years, but we've actually never met, as is the case with so many people in our lives these days. However, this young lady has just one of the biggest, most generous, thoughtful hearts I've ever come across in my life. And I'm very, very grateful that she was able to make some time for us today. Let's welcome to the show, Chase McKenna. Chase, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much, Scott. What a sweet intro. And I am so excited to be on the show. Well, it's all true. (laughs) (laughs) And what's so funny is just that how we make these deep connections with people in this world we've never met. And it's just, there's that affinity and connection that just happens right away when people are in sync, in tune and focusing on the same things. I agree. I think when when you get like-minded people together that have uh, a certain energy, and I find this a a little more maybe with creative people, but there there just seems to be a connection that that really can't be broken by anything in the outside world. Absolutely. Well, I have to say, uh, I plugged this a little bit on my show on Wednesday, but I first uh, came across you at uh, some event I was at in Phoenix, And there were these gentlemen from Red and Tan Productions out there showing off their movie called Money, Please. Okay. And that was the first place that I saw you. And I thought, what what a cool actress that just goes for it. Like, you seem to be one of those people that's like, you need me to do that? Great, let's do it. Oh my gosh, that is a blast from the past. And that's so funny. And I love that you just sprung that on me live on the show because I realized I had no idea how you originally made that connection with me. And that was such a fun project because I really did get to kind of test the limits of going from one extreme to the other in a very short period of time, which as an actor, it really doesn't get better than that. And I always love to dive in and just say, yes, let's make it happen. Let's find a way to create that. I love that. I love people that are are to an element fearless, but also people that are just like, let's make this project the best it can be and whatever wackiness we need to throw in there, we'll just do it and make it work. I think that those are the projects that oftentimes come out the best. 
And I think it comes out in the work and the audience gets to experience that fun ride too, where they're with you and they don't know what to expect. Right, exactly. And when I saw this, uh, this movie, I just, I was so tickled by how this it sounds weird to say, but just how this family just falls apart over playing this game. It's like their life actually gets ruined as the game progresses. And as we get close to the holidays, I think people can relate to that. These board games, when families get together, can really cause you know permanent damage in relationships at times. I know it was the case whenever we brought out that game that was similar to what they were projecting in the movie Money Please, which is Monopoly. I mm. mean, it was cutthroat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, and it's and it's one of those games that really just never ends because it, 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 unless people just go, you know what, I've had enough. Let's just cash out our houses, see where we end up, and whoever wins wins, and then no one actually cares who wins because they're just so tired of the game. Uh, yeah, I feel like our game always ended when somebody flipped the board over. I think that's when it was. <laughs> we're done. We're done. I'm not paying the utilities one more time. That's right. My family used to play uh, cards a lot. We played, you know, euchre and, and canasta oh, okay. and games like that. Fun. And uh, we had this one game called Pounce, which was like a group solitaire game. And when you put your cards, like, uh, you know, you would put your aces up, but it's a community pool. And huh. so, you know, you're trying to get to that, you know, to put your three on that two before the other person is and you slam it down and then they slam their card in your hand and then you go out. <laughs> and it really gets to the point where you all have to call time out just to straighten the cards out on the table. Just to see what's going on. Yes. And I mean, people would get cut from from, you know, rubbing against the side of the cards as they were trying to get their card up in the middle. It was it was <laughs> intense. It, it really was. Yeah. But I, I kind of miss it. Well, it seems to me that that the board game era has really disappeared. And then every once in a while, I'll see people post that they're playing life or aggravation or something. And it kind of warms my heart that families still do that. And I think there is kind of this resurgence of it coming back with this idea of it being fun and vintage. Mm -hmm. And I love that that might get some excitement behind it again. So I'm primarily based out of Reno, Nevada here now. And we have a couple of bars that have popped up and they are solely based around board games. And so it's a drinking happy hour, big tables, wall to wall board games. And this place is packed and it's young people coming in and doing this. So I, I feel like maybe it'll start to come back as a form of community and, and bonding over playing these games again. I like that. As long as they can keep all the pieces together with the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's one thing that video games do have an advantage of. The controller might, broke, bre might break from time to time, but we do have all the pieces together. It's all staying intact. I wonder if puzzles will make a comeback. Oh, goodness. I have way too many animals to ever consider a puzzle. It's just oh, not true. part of my future. <laughs> Was that part of your growing up? Um, it was. And I think it's just part of kind of my nature in general. Of I love rescuing and helping. So I have a lot of foster animals around here. Um, I've rescued many animals that were kind of on the block to be euthanized. And so I've created a bit of a bit of a sanctuary at my house. That does not surprise me in the least. <laughs> <laughs> one of those one of those animals is actually a monkey. I saw and that. So that's actually your monkey. Yes. That is mine. And he just had his 20th birthday. He is wow. 20 years old now. And I've had him uh, since he was six weeks old. So he has been with me for 20 years. And uh, he was supposed to be euthanized. And I ended up adopting a baby monkey and becoming kind of a, a single teen mom to a monkey. And he's amazing. Okay, you just got like 10 times even more cool <laughs> than I thought you were. 
How how did you learn to communicate with a monkey? He definitely has a language of his own. He has very specific sounds, noises, cadences, and tempo in his speech that I've learned over time is, okay, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm cranky. Uh, when he needs something, he's very expressive. They are incredibly smart. So he was helping me out the other day, opening up a few packages. He absolutely loves mail time. Wow. Is he pretty self-contained or does he require a lot of attention? He really likes his independence too, but we get a lot of social interaction. So he's primarily with me and we spend time together. I built a whole house for him. So he has his own space and there's ropes hanging from the ceiling. And then he's got a little door that he can go to a big open outdoor caged area. So he has the the choice to kind of go inside and outside as he pleases. And he kind of lets you know when he wants his alone time or when he wants your attention. That is just amazing. He's pretty fascinating. 20 years later, (laughs) who would have thought, you know? Yeah. And their life said he's supposed to live to be around 50. So we still have a ways to go. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad (laughs) to hear that. That's just amazing. He's Yeah. Never a dull moment with him around. Oh, I can admit that's like every guy's dream to own a monkey. (laughs) I think everybody has that kind of, yeah, I want a pet monkey. So I will say they are they are a full time pet. It is definitely they're not something you can you can really just have around. It's it's right. a lot. It's like having a permanent six year old, essentially. So incredibly smart, can get into just about everything. So you definitely have to spend time paying attention and and playing and activating their brains and keeping them involved and stimulated. Wow, I, I just I'm so blown away. I love that. <laughs> I uh, I had to go to a sports sporting goods store today. And, uh, and I noticed that they have all these little uh, unicorn-based stuffed animals, but they're crossbreeding them with other animals. Oh, I think I've seen those. And I thought they, they crossbred a unicorn and a sloth. And I thought, that's just, it's gone too far. That's like the weirdest <laughs> combination ever. I just want to know what's happening in these toy factories. They're like, how do we recreate stuffed animals? We got to come up with something, guys. Well, we have all these pieces left of a bunch of different stuffed animals. That's it. We'll put those together and that's, we're marketing it, brand it, send it out. I'm pitching this right now. I think that they should merge a sloth and a turtle because those <laughs> make sense. And they could call it a slurtle. And how Whoa. would that not sell? That would definitely, it's catchy, it's, it's perfect. And you have to play with the toy very slowly. Yes, and it will teach the kids <laughs> patience, which we have lost humongously in this world. Start working with some grounding techniques with the slurtle. Yes, I love it. Now, you <laughs> you still do some theater, though, from time to time, don't you? I do. So I started a theater company with a dear friend of mine, Philip Kelly, in Los Angeles. And we started this company called Mary War Theater Group. And I, when I moved, I brought it with me here and we kept it going. And it's been going strong now for, my goodness, I think we're going on almost 10 years. Wow. And we've um, been doing it for six years here. One of my favorite things that I brought with me when I brought that theater company was we wanted to make theater and Shakespeare accessible to everyone. So we created this summer Shakespeare show at this kind of rundown building that just hasn't been remodeled, but has this beautiful landscaping outside. And so we created an outdoor summer Shakespeare festival and we did it outside. 
And then we made it free to the public and we've done it for five years in a row and it's gotten just bigger and bigger every year. And to see little kids light up and get excited about Shakespeare, we always contemporize it. We want to make it accessible and fun and um, the kids come up and want to know how they can do what we're doing and they want to understand the, the show better and to see that excitement and make it so the families aren't going out of pocket, mm-hmm. they can afford it. And it gets these kids excited about theater. And for many of them, we've had kids and adults come up to us afterwards and say, that's the first time they've seen Shakespeare or that's the first time they've ever even seen a play. Wow! So to get them excited about it. So they're actually participating in that world, contributing and going out and buying tickets after that is what gets me excited. I love that. I think that the the biggest disconnect with Shakespeare, and tell me if you disagree, is really the language. It is. And it's challenging. And I don't, you know, we're not really teaching it in the same way. And if you're not accustomed to it and your ears is not tuned to it, it's it's very hard to go, what what are they saying? What's happening here? And we definitely want to make it um so that everyone can get a sense because those stories are all still so relevant. Sure. Yeah. And they're reach. I mean, those same stories are, have been retold on yeah. sitcoms, movies, other plays, and sure. the same core stories. But if, uh, if you can't identify with what's going on and, and I always, uh, felt that, that the reason that I didn't enjoy Shakespeare more because I liked the stories, but trying to get through them seemed more of a chore than enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we present in a way that's fun, that's accessible. One of my favorite versions that we've done in our five years was we did Max Beth. (laughs) And it was a Mad Max version of Macbeth. (laughs) And we still hear about it today. It had over, I think it had 17 minutes of stage combat hand to hand. We had fire, we had flamethrowers, we had abandoned, broken down cars. The moment people entered into the space, they were in this post-apocalyptic wasteland and they were, we just pumped the adrenaline of that play, the corruption, and they were with us for the whole ride. So that's one of my favorite adaptations we've done so far. I love that. I really do. <laughs> that that's that's the thing is recreating something to meet the modern uh lifestyle of people so that they can connect with it and still get the same message and have the same yeah. benefits and not be just totally turned off. Absolutely. And that's what we're we're trying to do is to get people excited and interested in these stories again, but also making it so they get to choose to participate participate in a way that's comfortable for them. Now, do you still act in these or are you just too busy putting them together? I do. Um, and um, I've done both. So I've certainly done the wonderful thing of getting to sit back and just direct and produce, which is its own wonderful beyond full-time job. And then I was an actor first. So that bug still gets to me. And then I will step on the stage. Um, usually I do participate in the summer Shakespeare show as an actor as well as a producer director, um, just because classic theater is where I started. Mm -hmm. Um, But in many of our plays for the rest of the season, I spend much of my time just producing and directing. Right. Well, I think it's great to have started as an actor because you have a different perspective of how to direct, how to produce, how to put a show together, because you know what the people need. Uh, I think that it's great when people can take on or at least experiment with multiple different uh, roles so that they can appreciate and work better with other positions. And I certainly hope so. That's always my goal. And I've, I've always gotten pretty 
really positive feedback from my actors as well that they appreciate that I'm an actor's director because I I speak to them in a way that I know they need or to help them or guide them through from an actor's perspective rather than just that outsider overall big picture. Sometimes directors get caught up in that this is what I want the image to look like Mm -hmm. rather than how do I direct for this actor specifically and understanding it a little bit more from where they're coming from. Right. That's very true. And I I can imagine, though, working with you would just be fun. Like, no matter how long the days were, you would just be a fun person to be around. And it would be a great experience, (laughs) regardless of the exhaustion. We do. We have a bit of a quote that's that we are the bringers of fun. We bring the fun. And if it's not having fun, then we're missing the whole point of it because it's it's called play. It's called play for a reason. So I like to think we all have a good time. We have some pretty fun traditions and Everybody is enjoying it. I have found a Mary War Theater group. We have very little drama. We don't usually end up with the backstage drama and the complaints. Or I mean, everybody's just bringing their energy. They're leaving everything else. They get to leave their day, their work behind, and really just step in to the fun of this world, whatever we're embodying in that. And I try to create a very stress-free space for them to feel so comfortable being that free and participating 100% in that event. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And I think it's it's great when you have a group of people that just work so well together and they're all focused on making the production the best it can be. And when you have fun along the way, that comes out in the show. Absolutely. And you know, when I first moved here, people were telling me, you know, you're going to have a hard time finding Shakespearean actors. And from day one of auditions, there is so much fresh vital, vibrant, amazing talent here. And sometimes getting those people out there for their first role or their first job and getting to be part of watching that growth is one of the most rewarding things. I find that interesting that that people would have said that to you because yeah. unless you're unless you have a Shakespeare theater or people are already doing his plays, you wouldn't necessarily know who might want to do them until you put it out exactly. there. Exactly. And also just to start from that that perspective of in order to only be, to be good at this, you must have already done it, which I never really agree with in life. We right. have to all develop and discover from somewhere. And sometimes it's even better when you start from nothing because then it's incredible to see what directions it, it might go. Oh, absolutely. You can get very locked into a certain mindset mm-hmm. and respond a certain way or, or prepare a certain way just because you're already used to doing that. And when you're de- dealing with something that's completely fresh, like I'm writing my first musical right now. And oh, wow. I, I find that it's it's completely fresh perspective because it's something I've never done. So the challenges are not things that I have strategies of how to overcome. Sure. Yeah. And it gets you to have to think about it in completely different ways. How exciting. Well, I'm so excited for you. What is the name Thank of you. your musical? I cannot say just yet. Okay. Okay. It's, it's based on it. it's based on an existing property, so I have to get rights got and it. legal clearances and all that. But, uh, but I'm hoping to get to that point. I'm uh, at the very least, it's an incredible writing exercise, both as a as an author of it and as the composer. Um, really, just uh, putting something together because I've done concept albums and things before, but this is just a whole different level. Yeah, I mean, really, when you step in, I haven't even moved as a director to that musical realm because it is a big leap. It is a huge endeavor. So amazing. And I really acknowledge you in taking that on. What a wonderful challenge. Well, thank you. If nothing else, I'll learn a lot from it that I'll be able to take (laughs) those skills to other things. 
Absolutely. You know, or maybe write another one. Who knows? Uh, yeah. now, do you you don't uh, get to work in film as much anymore, though? I actually still do. And, oh. and Reno is starting to pop. It's so fun to have moved here and then see the things that I was missing most start to um, become and be generated now here in my backyard. Um, so Reno is starting to kind of get itself on the map in terms of films coming through here because we have a little bit of everything. We get all four seasons mm -hmm. 30 minutes away. We have beautiful lakes and mountains. You can get a desert backdrop. We have casinos downtown that can second for things like Vegas or big cities. So film companies are kind of starting to take note of us and they're shuffling through. And what's great about that is I'm usually phone call number one because mm. I think I'm one of five SAG actors in this oh, city. Wow. Yeah. So is any time a union project comes through that I might remotely fit for, um, I feel very lucky in knowing that I I get called in for that. And so I actually have done a few film projects since I've been here. Um, so they're all still in kind of, we're in post on most of them. I guess there's a car commercial that's airing right now. People keep texting me that they're seeing me on a, on a car commercial that I got to film a while back. So Yay. I love that I still get to be plugged in to that world as well. I'm glad to hear that. And of course, we have a really good tax incentive for film in Nevada, too. But it, it seems like people really underestimate Reno. I, I agree. I feel like it's just not the first place people think of in terms of living or just the life that we have here. And I think this state has become so much more liberal, mm -hmm. too, in terms of not just legislation politically, but in terms of embracing the arts has expanded so much in just, I'd say, the last five to maybe 10 years. Oh, I agree. And our theater district here in Vegas has grown immensely in the last three or four years. And it seems like every couple months, a new theater company is popping up or there's a new space for people to perform. And I love that because it, growing up, there just weren't that many outlets to, to do what you wanted to unless yeah. the school was doing something. Yeah, and it's wonderful the arts are expanding in that way that in the past you really had to go to somewhere like L.A. or New York. If you wanted to be an actor, that's where you needed to be, mm -hmm. um, regardless of if that sounded appealing or interesting to you, but you did it for that lifestyle. And now I find it seems like people have many opportunities to do this kind of work from yeah. All over the all over the world, even because we've become so digital and young and in younger ages too. Because now you know you can make a movie on your phone. Um, sure. There's there's a little bit more, especially in Vegas where we have so many productions. The kids can even uh, work for Cirque du Soleil and be performers there. Right. And, uh, and I love that that they get those opportunities so early. And we have uh, several schools that are artist uh, schools. So from like uh, you know first grade on up to to twelfth grade they're growing up in artistic communities. That's amazing. And I feel like that's still the thing we're missing here that we're kind of hoping to participate and expand in, which is the the teaching aspect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, really giving people space to grow, develop and learn those artistic skills. And it is starting to develop and expand, but I'd say we're still, we're still in the baby phases of that here. Yeah. Well, at least it's heading in the right direction. That's it has Absolutely. to start. Yeah. Well, one thing that, that I love about everything that I've seen as far as like, uh, you know, captured performances or, you know, when you're talking about your up and coming productions, you just seem to radiate this joy that makes me oh. want to move to Reno and go see everything <laughs> you do. Well, thank you. I just, 
I am always grateful for every opportunity I'm given in every experience. And I try to be very mindful and appreciative when I'm there. And that that's easy to find joy in that. And I feel so lucky to get to do the things I do every day and uh, be it at my office, the nonprofit, if I'm cast in somebody else's project, it, it's, it's such a treat. It's such a joy. And so bringing that energy makes the day go by very quickly. And I find that energy spreads out to everyone else as well. Absolutely. And, and gratitude is such a huge part of, of what we should be focusing on in our lives because that just generates better energy for us and it spreads out to other people and they feel it and then they'll spread it to other people. And uh, that's the butterfly effect I want. Oh, I agree with you. And we're definitely trying to make that happen here. Well, to switch gears a little bit, um, and we've, we've, got, God, we've got so much to talk about and the time's aren't going so fast. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about your work in in clinical hypnotherapy. Now, when people say hypnotherapy, my first thing is I my brain just goes to hydroponics because one day I want a hydroponic garden. But can you okay. can you give us like a an idea of what that really involves? Not the hypothe- not the garden, but your, your not the work. garden. Yeah. No, and I I find that usually when I tell people hypnotherapy, the first um, response is very uh, that's very woo woo y, or that idea of stage hypnotism shows. You know, am I going to bark like a dog or cluck like a chicken? Right. And I and I love I love those associations because that is hypnosis too. That's actually happening for those people. And when I went through my clinical hours. I got to do some stage hypnotism shows. That was really fun. Wow. Hypnotizing some high school students for a graduation party and getting them to, to do all sorts of silly, fun things. But um, I started studying psychology and I just loved it. I was always drawn to the idea of helping people, um, being more kind of empathetic in nature. I wanted to go into a field of helping people work through what they couldn't get past on their own and trying to be on their team for that in any way that I could. I loved psychology. I still use it today, everything I learned. But for me, I didn't feel like it went far enough or deep enough, Mm -hmm. just that traditional talk therapy. I also was not in my own integrity or values drawn to the medication side. And I didn't want to go into the pharmaceutical aspect with um, prescribing medications. Mm -hmm. So then I discovered work in the subconscious, which it started with language patterns, which is neuro-linguistic programming, and how when we change our wor- our words, we change our world, we change our reality. And when we become very conscious and mindful of that, we make big shifts just in doing something like becoming so aware of our language, it not only influences us, but it influences the people around us. And the more I dove into that, it led me to hypnosis and hypnotherapy, which is very similar in modality and has the same effect in the brain as something like spiritual prayer, meditation, sometimes even exercising, working out, you kind of getting in the zone, getting deeper beyond the conscious mind, which is where a lot of people's pain and problem exist is deep in the subconscious. Mm -hmm. Because if it was all conscious, we would just tell ourselves to stop it and we'd be fine. (laughs) So like I have depression, well, stop it. And it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And I think it's our tendency to not deal with things and just bury them until they, uh, yeah, Yeah. you know, and then that always ends up poorly. Yeah. And it can come out a lot of different ways. I mean, in sickness, it can affect your body, obviously your immune system, your health, your state of mind. So with hypnosis, I got to dig a little deeper into where these things were really taking place, even if people didn't understand it themselves of just 
and engaging in the self-sabotaging behavior I don't want to be engaging in. I keep doing this pattern over and over again. And consciously, I want to stop it. And I found that with hypnosis, it was a tool that created more effective and long-lasting change just in what I was seeing in my office. So I feel so grateful to do the job that I do. I absolutely love this work. Um, and I find that it's it's very effective for people. So you have to find that that modality that works for you. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly antidepressants have this space for people and talk therapy and Reiki and energy and acupuncture and chiropractic. So it's it's try it all. You know, find your place, your person, and dive into that. I would think that there would have to be a certain uh, element of trust, though, for somebody to say, I want you to put me under and have a conversation Mm -hmm. with me, and I'm going to be completely vulnerable. I know it's the best because I'm not going to be blocking my thoughts consciously and preventing you from getting Mm -hmm. to what you need to. But at the same point, it's like, you know, you go to a dentist for the first time and, hey, I don't know you, but yeah, go ahead and stick needles in my gums and, you know, jab at me with your pokey thing. And I'm just going to have that element of trust with you and we're going to do this. Yeah, and absolutely. Everybody comes into their first session extremely nervous, very tentative, and afraid. And they should be because they don't know me yet. And they don't know themselves yet. And my job in that first session is to absolutely gain that trust Mm -hmm. and to make them comfortable to let them know that they are absolutely safe, and that they're on board. And if they're not on board, then I'm not the right person. Do you find that, uh, what, what percentage would you say of people you actually put under on, on their first visit? A hundred percent. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So there's not like a, let's talk and get comfortable session. This is, we're just going for it. So I book an hour and a half session for my, all of my first clients. So we have plenty of time and we end up doing basically a traditional talk therapy session for the first portion of it. And then I do a little bit of suggestibility testing so I can figure out how to hypnotize them in a way their mo- their mind is most readily going to accept and understand. And then the last 15 minutes of it is them in state. We're reinforcing the work that we're doing in hypnosis. So we've got a lot of time to really get into the details of it, to gain that rapport and that trust, um, and to, to really get to the root of where are we going from here? Right. Because it's not just a matter of putting them under. You've got to know what it is that you're trying to fix or what it is you're trying to uncover. And you can't do that without that initial talk therapy session. You got it. And so we we have plenty of time in that first session, but I hypnotize um, all of my clients at every session. And uh-huh. because I find it just makes the progress happen more quickly mm-hmm. and it's lasting for them. Yeah. And plus, I mean, they're they're not coming to you because they don't have some hope or belief in what you do. Uh, I don't imagine people like, yeah, I'm really skeptical. So I'm going to book an hour and a half session out of my life. And you know, this isn't going to work. Think, you know? <laughs> I think you'd be surprised. Honestly, I find that I think I'm everybody's last stop. And I kind of love that um, because they've tried everything else. I usually get that. I've tried everything else. I'm even willing to try hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love that because they come in here um, in, in so much pain at some point and they're so vulnerable and they're so broken with a belief it isn't going to change because they've tried everything else. Right. And I get to do everything I can to try to be that guide and that help and on their team for them Mm -hmm. and watch that growth and change happen. So usually the hypnotherapy, I wouldn't say, is the first stop choice. Um, They've usually tried 
talk therapy, medication. They've struggled with something for months, if not years, mm-hmm. and are just at a point of desperation. And it's, and I'm grateful that eventually they knock on this door. Well, and on top of that, you've got, you know, a 200 year history of charlatans and people mm-hmm. today that are, are tricksters that you're also working against to get them to believe in what you do. Absolutely. And even in hypnosis and hypnotherapy, unfortunately, you can technically go out and do a weekend seminar and get a hypnotherapy certificate and open an office tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, that person is probably not going to be the best equipped to help people through some major aspects in their lives. So I always recommend if somebody is going to look for a hypnotist or a hypnotherapist, that they find somebody who is accredited that they're in a hypnotherapy association and a hypnotherapy union because those unions are very similar to, um, you have to have reached a certain number of clinical hours. There's a lot more requirements besides just taking a weekend seminar and opening a practice. So it's like the equivalent of being accredited. You got it. So yeah, I always recommend look for the union um, certification or in a hypnosis association. As you've been doing this for a while, do you find that it's easier to put people under or are people still fairly resistant in the beginning? Um, I feel that it's it's always about the same, that I just have to really work on on empathetic listening with them, really making them feel comfortable. And they usually give me everything I need. My job is to refocus their language patterns. Mm -hmm. So I feel more that I'm a guide. And at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones doing it. They're doing the work. I'm just helping to point them in the right direction. So they're really teaching you how to unlock their secrets. Absolutely. Every time. Interesting. Very interesting. Does it is it difficult though sometimes for you to hear the things that people say or the the things that they've locked away from themselves or are you able to separate from that pretty easily? I am able to separate from that pretty easily. I find that I came into this space very willingly and I know this sort of job can become very trying for people, but I feel that I was equipped to do it from the beginning in order to hold that safe space for people that don't feel they have it somewhere else. And very often with my clients, even when they've been to other therapists, I feel very honored in the moments that I have heard, you know, I've never told this to anyone. Mm -hmm. And they finally have a space that's been created for them that they feel safe enough to get to unburden that. Right. Is it sometimes shocking for them to hear what they've said under hypnosis? So I actually don't have them discuss back with me. So we do all of our back and forth in a conscious waking state. And then I put them under and I give them a 15 minute um, hypnosis. That's just me speaking to them and them taking in and processing it. Oh, And I do that. I used to do a back and forth talk when I first started. And I found that repetition and reinforcement is the fastest way to change. And so while I was having breakthroughs before, I found by doing the 15 minute straight, me speaking to them allowed me to audio record the hypnosis portion of it, Mm -hmm. which I then send them after the session. And now they can keep reinforcing the work that we're doing. 
because when they're talking to me back back and forth, those answers might change if they're working with the file later. Some people become distracted by hearing their own voice mm -hmm. or uncomfortable. Right. So this allows them to have a tool or a resource that's available to them even when they're outside of my office. Interesting. Yeah, I can understand that because I don't like when I go to edit the podcast, I don't even like to listen to the things that I say. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we're kind of we're, we we feel a little uncomfortable when it comes to our own voices. Sometimes it's very strange. Well, one uh, one other question on all of this when when they come out of the hypnosis, do they do they really understand what has been, uh, you know, what like the things that you've said? Or is that something that really just it takes time for them to grasp the uh, the subconscious side of it all. Uh, both. And it depends on each person's suggestibility. It definitely mm -hmm. changes and it varies. For some people, they really have to just sit with it and sit in it and let it process over time. For other people, it's immediate, just wow, like something has just opened up in their mind. And I've gotten emails where they said, the moment I walked out of your office, it's like the sky was brighter and my eyes were open and I felt like I woke up. Wow. And for other people, it's, you know, I'm not really feeling anything yet. And then it'll be three or four days later, they go, oh my gosh, it just, it just clicked. And I experienced it in that time. So it's, it's different for everyone. And I would imagine just, uh, being in the room with you, I think that you would have a really nice calming effect on people and just help get them to that point where they can relax and feel trusting fairly quickly. No, thank you for saying that. And I, I certainly hope so. That is the environment I'm always wanting to create for them. And mostly I just want to give them a space where they can leave it here so they don't have to take it with them anymore. Yeah. And if I can do that and make that a, a safe enough for them, I feel like that's really my job at the end of the day. Well, that's that's just beautiful. I mean, who could ask for anything more than that? <laughs> well, I do have one other question, and this may be yes. uh, too big of a question for this episode. So if, if it is, feel free to stop me. But okay. One thing that I've always kind of gone back and forth on in, in my life when I think of things that I've needed to overcome, there's the one side of it where this happened to you and you need to work through it. And then there's the other side of it of, okay, you've identified the problem. Now we just need to move forward. Is there, and I'm not sure I, I, I know how to phrase the question, but what is there really a value to working through a lot of the problems as opposed to just going, I know what happened, now I need to just make sure it doesn't happen again and move past it? Does that, does that make sense? It does. And so I usually, that's kind of what I explain to my clients in my session once I've gotten the information from them and we start to kind of see, oh, when this trauma happened to you, it left an imprint it left a story, it left pain, it left reaction in your brain and your subconscious that's affecting you way later in life. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to do both. I think it is very important to go back and find that traumatic or that experience, that moment that happened that set this ripple effect into a moment, into effect that begins to pop its way into your life in different ways. So I think we do need to go back into a healing place of fixing that initial trauma mm -hmm. or that experience and creating tools of how do we move forward now from here. So I think it is the balance of both. Very interesting. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much. It's such oh, great yeah. information. And I love that you're doing things that uh, that help make people's lives better. Because I think that there's there's one joy that you can bring through the entertainment world, which you know you and I both focus on. 
But I think there's another joy when you can really touch people's lives one-on-one and make it better. And then the things that they're going to uh, go on to do in their lives, even just being a happier person makes Mm -hmm. such a big difference. Absolutely. That's why, again, I'm grateful every day for the job that I have. It's so, so rewarding. Yeah, I I love it. Absolutely love it. And (laughs) speaking of awesome things that you do, and one of the reasons that I reached out to you at this particular point in time, because you've been on my list of people that I've wanted to talk to for for pretty much since the beginning uh, when I made my initial list. Uh, which is so funny because other than a handful of emails that we've exchanged over the years, like we're not close friends or anything until today. But uh, <laughs> but you you are involved with a couple of things going on through the holidays. The first one is Harvest of Hope. Let's talk about that because I think this is such a beautiful, beautiful thing that you're doing for the world. Uh, Harvest of Hope. This Well, this is my favorite time of year. I absolutely love the holidays. And I started Harvest of Hope in my kitchen five years ago. And I thought, I have a lot to be grateful for. I want to spread that love. I want to spread that gratitude around. And I put it out on Facebook to a couple of my friends and said, hey, what if we got together and quick Thanksgiving for the homeless? And a bunch of people were on board. I think I had uh, 20 volunteers for that first year. We took over my kitchen. People came over, cooked, prepped. We put together little hygiene bags And we went out and we fed, I think it was something like 63 or 70 homeless people our very first year of doing it. And we all felt so great. And it was such a positive experience. I went, well, this is what I'm going to do every Thanksgiving. We're going to make this a new tradition. And the word got out about what we did and it just snowballed very, very quickly. So the second year was also in my kitchen and we took all of the furniture out of my living room and all of the furniture out of my dining room. And I had something like 50 volunteers and we made 180 meals Wow! and 200 plus of those hygiene kits. And I went, well, we, we've outgrown my home this next year. We definitely have to move on. The third year we ended up at the Sparks Elks Lodge and I am now a member of the Elks Lodge and it just blew up. We ended up doing 473 meals and 300 hygiene bags. Oh and God, that's amazing. It was unbelievable. And so then I end up having a meeting with uh, Mark Esty, who owns Liberty Food and Wine Exchange, which is this wonderful restaurant that is in the heart of downtown Reno. And he had heard about what we were doing and wanted to be involved. So last year, we actually worked out of his kitchen and we fed 785 people. Holy cow. And in just four years. And so this is our fifth annual Harvest Pope event. It is already massive. Um, my entire garage looks like a storage unit for Costco. <laughs> um, we we are doing, our goal this year is 1,500 meals and 1,500 kindness kits. And we have these little hope backpacks. We put bottles of water, hygiene bags, scarves, gloves, hats, socks, and we are going to be handing out 1,500 meals on Thanksgiving morning. And just the amount of interest and excitement that it is incredible. If everybody does a little, it goes such a long way and it just gets bigger and bigger every year. Well, that's that's absolutely beautiful. And I love this goal that you have because you're basically saying we want to double last year. Right. 
And so, and with that, we did it because we, we kind of just ended up naturally doubling every year. And so I we went, well, we're really going to have to step our game up this year to double number because we outdid ourselves. We, we were hoping for 600 last year mm-hmm. and we did 785. So we just knew we could keep doing more and more. And with that, uh, I got inspired last year to keep it going beyond Thanksgiving, but I wanted to keep it going more and more. So yeah. I created a Christmas village and toy drive. Um, that we created in that same space that we do the outdoor summer Shakespeare festival oh, at the okay. theater. And so we, I wanted Christmas to be accessible for everybody. I think, I think it was going to the mall inspired me to do it. And there was pictures with Santa that were something like $45 or some very yeah. expensive price. And I just went, that's not the spirit of Christmas to me. Right. So we built in 10 days, we built a Christmas village. We had food trucks. We had live entertainment. We had Santa and Mrs. Claus, free pictures with Santa. We had kids activities, letter to Santa station. Uh, and we put it together in 10 days and it was a huge hit. We ended up raising enough toys for all the children at the children's hospital and for foster organizations. So after it was that big of a hit, we went, well, I guess this is going to be another annual event that we do every year. So we are in the process right now of coordinating Harvest of Hope and our Christmas Village and Toy Drive. Um, Our Christmas Village and Toy Drive is now three days. We're going to have a Christmas tree lighting. We have an entire vendor village that is uh, we've blocked off a whole street to essentially create an outdoor farmer's market and uh, crafts fair. We are going to have the Humane Society truck there. It's going to have puppies and kittens for adoption. Yeah. Santa and Mrs. Claus have put it on their schedule, so they're going to be there. And we are hoping to um, at least double our numbers for how many kids that we are helping out this Christmas. Oh, I hope. I so hope from the bottom of my heart that you do. That is such a beautiful thing. Thank you. There's, there's something I'm going to say to you, and this is going to sound really weird at first. Okay. I want you to go out of business. <laughs> I want you to okay. go out of business because there shouldn't be a need for what you're doing. Ah, uh, yes. I I hear and see that. And I'm hoping I realize the more we do, the more it inspires other people to do as well. Mm-hmm. So, I'm hoping that each year, I know we've been doubling our numbers, but I'm realizing more and more people are doing more that I'm hoping each year we can do less. Because it's spread out. So everyone only has to take on a little bit right. to have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think I think we're helping to create that thinking. And I'm noticing a lot more people are popping up and in, in doing this that we don't have to do as much, which is a wonderful sign. But I agree with you. It would be so lovely for there to not be this kind of need at all. Yeah. You know, I, uh, when I came out with my uh, Christmas album uh, a couple of years ago, I tried to sync up with one of the charities here for the homeless. And uh, I was very disappointed. There were two here in Vegas and one of them, uh, the only way that they would help people is if those people agreed to accept Jesus Christ as their savior, Right. which I mean, that's fine if that's what you believe. But I think to force that on someone who needs a meal uh, was not within my taste. And, mm-hmm. the, and the other one kept saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we would love to work with you. And I just have to have a meeting with this person. And then week after week after week, because I started in October reaching right. out and it just never came together. And I thought, you guys mm-hmm. are the organized people that are supposed to be able to accommodate these kind of <laughs> events. And look at what you've put together. It's just amazing. Yes. And and I don't know if I can speak 
for them in any way, but I do understand how overwhelming it can get because they're, um, it is hard to get support as a nonprofit sometimes and that, that you're, you're doing and overextending a lot mm-hmm. and just trying to keep it all up in the air and things can fall through the cracks very quickly. Um, but it would be nice if this was something that was more well supported and the funds and the resources were put in place that it was a lot easier to have access to it and to, yes. to keep growing it in the way where, where people like you can participate very quickly if you wanted to. Right. And I think that's a, that's a big part of it too. I mean, there's a lot of people that will go down and help at a soup kitchen, uh, which is great, uh, very, very mm-hmm. helpful and vital, but it just seems like there's so many people that want to do more, but it's just so uh, scattered. And, and like you said, there's not enough help. There's not enough support. Uh, so I'm really, really grateful for what you've done. And it shows too that there are people that really want to help and they really want to do good because look at how quickly you've grown to so many helpers. Oh, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> we have all of our food as of today. I mean, we will be making 1,500 meals. We're ready to go for Thanksgiving. And that's based on donors, companies, businesses coming out of the woodwork and saying, hey, we want to take on that part of it. Right. And I find, you know, you you can hear a lot of people get caught up in the news with media or politics and think like, oh, my gosh, people are so terrible. The world is so bad and ugly. And I find that I don't believe that is the case. I think people are very good. I think they're just lost. They yeah. want to do good. They just don't know where to begin. That when you look at the problems, they seem very overwhelming. So we shut down because we just don't know where to start. And I think it does take someone or a group or an organization to give people a space to do good and they will. Absolutely. That is one of the most brilliant things anyone has said on the show. It is so <laughs> true. I think that people in general are are very good natured. I think that people get caught up in the day to day. I think that there's uh, a lot of distraction. I mean, the fact that the Kardashians are even a thing says that we're not <laughs> in the right place, you know, but, but there is at the very base of everything, there is a genuineness to people, especially around this time of year when people get nostalgic and the, you know, their hearts yeah. are a little warmer and they, they kind of pull away from the, the day-to-day stuff that gets right. to them. And, uh, it, it's, it's definitely the right time, but we also do need to, to remember that these people have problems all year round. And I love that you've, right. you've spread it out. Uh, and I hope that that will continue to grow and maybe that will become its own thing. Right. And, and I hope people keep it going. We're talking now about doing something in February to mm-hmm. keep it going outside of the holidays, because I know people think about it around Christmas and Thanksgiving more than they do. And February is still freezing here. It's, it's winter. It's colder usually in February than December. Yeah. And then that's another reason I, I provided the summer Shakespeare show as being free. We end up with a, a huge home, homeless population that becomes our audience. And we, we set up a section and they come and they love it and they watch it multiple times. And they, I mean, they become our biggest fans and for them to have access to that, you know, we want people to think about giving, think about ways to give to their community, uh, have a lot of people get involved and be a part of it, that it, it takes a village. It really, really does. And, um, so, and I have packages that are being shipped to my door People are donating hygiene items, shampoo, conditioner, toothbrush, toothpaste, all those things we need. People are going on Amazon and shipping it to us. And that's how it happens. And I'm getting packages from L.A. The fact that I'm on this podcast and we're reaching all the way down you know, to Vegas mm-hmm. means that more people are, are paying attention. More people are looking at this. And so people are finding our website. 
Uh, you can find out about it by going to marywar.com. It's M-E-R-R-Y-W-A-R.com. And we're we're still collecting for those hygiene bags for the kindness kits. And we're going to build those on November 23rd. Beautiful. And we'll have that link in the show notes as well. Oh, as, uh, as Thank now, you. You're, it, now, is that the same link that they'll use through Christmas? Yes. So there's different tabs. So that's kind of just our homepage for the theater group and the nonprofit. There's a Harvest of Hope tab and a Christmas Village tab. Okay. People have been sending us toys, kids books. Um, so you can you can choose to participate in one or the other if you become interested in it. Or you can just send money through the website as well. And every dollar we raise, I don't pay myself a salary. Nobody gets any money. It's not like, oh, 40% is going 100% of the money we raise goes directly to buying the meals. People, sometimes people designate, I want my money to go to the Christmas village or Harvest Folks. That's exactly where it's going to go. Beautiful. I think that's a big uh, reason that people don't give to charity more is because they know that so much of it goes to administrative costs, uh, or as we've seen people's pockets, and they really have become uh, non-trusting. And I know you well enough to know that when you say that, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm glad to, and you can kind of vouch for me and, and thinking that and character wise. And I've definitely had some people come up and tell me that I'm one of the only charities that they financially donate to because they know 100% of their money is going exactly into what I say it's going into. Usually I'll even do a video and say like, while I'm out shopping and I'll go, thank you, Noel in LA, your $25 just bought these things. I mean, they get to see it in action. I love that too. And that goes back to the gratitude thing, because when, when you can, I've seen you post quite a few, we just got this shipment from so-and-so and and you really, you really feel how much it means to you. It's not just, Oh, here's another box. Let's uh, stack that over here. And we're running out of room. Like every, every one that you get, you really feel a gratitude and appreciation for what people are doing for you. Because, you know, I I came up with the idea. I feel like I'm a good organizer, but there's absolutely no way I can do this without everyone. And I am grateful every time I come to my door, there is a package, there's a box, there's a bag, somebody has donated. It brings tears to my eyes. I cry a lot this time of year. (laughs) Yeah, but they're good tears. Those are okay. All happy. Oh, my goodness. It's all happy, overwhelming, positive tears in how good people are. Yeah. And how much they're willing to give. And I don't think that you would be able to pull this off without an industrial kitchen. I mean, 1500 meals, that's, that would be a lot. Oh, to there's do in- no way. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. We grew out of my kitchen at, at 180 very early on. So I'm yeah. so grateful. Mark Esty is unbelievable that he turns over his restaurant to us and he ends up cooking all of the turkeys. He's in it with us on Thanksgiving morning. And it's just a beautiful experience. That's just amazing. And I, I, I can't imagine what the, uh, the payoff of actually serving the people would be when you know that you've seen this grow. Like it's not just going to a soup kitchen on Christmas Eve. This is from beginning to end, all the work, the culmination of everything to see the look on those people's faces, to see them smile when they're eating a tasty meal. I can't even fathom what that feels like. There's that. And I'll give you my little secret that the thing that hits me more is watching the volunteers change. Mm. And so I certainly get that impact and, and we are doing this to give to those who are just not in a place to be able to give to themselves and provide whatever support we can. But for me, the impact comes when I watch the volunteers change their mindset 
because then I know that's going to make a bigger impact and it sticks with them far beyond Thanksgiving. And so one thing um, that is a little different about what we do is we don't have the homeless people come to us. We actually caravan out. We fill up volunteers' cars with food and clothing and kind of skits, and I send them out into the streets and tell them to go find homeless people where wow. they are. Because these people, like you said, they don't really know. They're not on Facebook. They don't know where to go. And a few of them might hear about it or know about it. And, you know, we're not a church or an organization. I want to go to the people that don't know where to go, that didn't make it into the shelter, that didn't find that location or that space. And so we actually go canvas and it spreads far and wide. And something I tell all of my volunteers is it's not a matter of how quickly you can deliver these meals. Don't just go out there and hand out meals as fast as you can. You have to go up and ask them their name. Hmm. Have a connection with them. They come back in tears Oh, because they change their perspective. And then I've had homeless people break down in tears when I go up and I go, hi, what's your name? And sometimes they haven't heard or said their name in a very long time. Yeah. And just to have it be humanizing. I would imagine, is it is it hard for some of them to even speak at all? Um, I find that they're so lonely that that's really what they want even more than the meal. Mm-hmm. Is they just want somebody to really take a moment to see them and engage. That they are people with incredible stories and amazing things to say. And I, I meet the most incredible people that are just in bad situations at the moment for various reasons. And I think that there's a perception too with homeless people that they've messed up their lives or they, you know, they hurt somebody and they're outcast from society for whatever reason. But the fact is, and we've seen this a lot in the last, you know, 10, 15 years in the economy is that a lot of people that had six figure salaries were working at Taco Bell to try and just keep the lights on for, (laughs) for years because that's all they could find. And we've had this big shift here in Reno. We've had Tesla and Panasonic come here, which is amazing. It's really stimulated growth. It's Mm -hmm. stimulated a huge surplus in jobs, but it's changed the housing market. And so low-income rentals, low-income housing have all just the inflation has been exponential um, because they can get higher prices for it now with these jobs. And it has put a lot of people in the streets. Um, Many of those low-income housings and motels and monthly rental hotels have been demolished to make way for large complexes of shopping centers and condos because people can afford it now in Reno. Reno is shifting in that way. And it's putting a lot of people out uh, that can't afford housing anymore or medical crisis that gets you out on the street. Or um, there are many of our veterans that are on the street, mental disabilities. And then, yes, there is that percentage of drug and alcohol. Sure. But many of them, or even young, we've bumped into a lot of youth that are part of the LGBT community. And that's something that I'm really hoping is, is it seems like you, you mentioned that we're getting a little more liberal, but I think in, in general, the country is getting a little more liberal when it comes to those kinds of things. I don't understand why it was ever an issue to begin with, but that's just me. Um, But I'm glad to see that that steps have been taken in more recent times to really make that a, hey, we don't care. Be who you are. That's what we want. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still, I think there's some slow growth in that still, but definitely growth happening. And so when you really just kind of take a moment to connect with somebody, 
it makes a huge difference in their lives. And I find that that's a bigger impact than the meal that we're handing out. Well, you know, I I think I've told this story on the show before, but there was a time when, uh, before I moved here to Vegas, I would come up here between three and six times a year as, as my getaway. And I decided one time that I was going to actually engage with everybody that I had any kind of connection with. So mm. if I went to the sundry store uh, to get a bottle of water, I wouldn't just say, you know, hi, how are you today? You know, thanks or have a good day or whatever. Like it was, how are you doing today? And really trying to engage with people. And right. I would listen to how they greeted the person in front of me. And then I would sort of hang out and listen to how they greeted the person after me. And it was a world of difference. <laughs> What a fascinating, I mean, just that wonderful little social experiment. Yeah. But yeah, it feels good to have somebody really care. It does. And I heard some amazing stories from people that I would have never heard otherwise. And then right. there's those people that now you can't get away from them because, because you opened the door. <laughs> you did open that door. That does happen too. It so. does. But it's just amazing when you just make a connection with someone. Because yeah. we all go through our, our lives so isolated now more than ever because you don't I, I've seen, you know, couples at a dinner table where they're not talking, they're just on their phones the whole time. And one of them sure. will look over at the other and the other will be on the phone and then they'll go back to their phone and then the other person will look at them and then they're on the phone. And, <laughs> and they're just missing each other. And and it's so sad that they just don't go, let's just talk. Right. We gotta bring out the card we should bring out the card games again and start yes. doing those. Yes, maybe not pounce because that might be a little too might cutthroat. Might look but, too much in a restaurant, but that's right, that's right. But no, I, 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 I'm so glad that I was able to get you on the show right now, Thank where you I so can you know, kind of help uh, get the word out for what you're doing. And of course, like I said, we'll have the link in the notes if you guys want to send uh, gifts through Amazon or any other means. If you want to send them directly, if you want to uh, send some money their way, uh, all those links are available. And uh, I would imagine, though, you collect uh, throughout the year, right? Not just at uh, the holiday time? Um, I pretty much do it kind of occasion by occasion. Um, we always have a donate button on our on our page, but I usually kind of wait until as needed for what we need. And then we just ask for it then. So we kind of start collecting items and funding for Harvest of Hope in the Christmas Village uh, around the beginning of October. And we we reach our goals. And then in the summer... I, we also ask for donations in order to keep this the, to pay for the rental. I also pay all of my actors and, you know, to keep it free to the public. We have other people contribute and donate. And we usually start doing that in in the spring for the summer show. Well, you are just nailing life. I will say you're doing all <laughs> of this stuff the way it should be done. And I love that. As long as it's fun, I'm going to keep doing it. And that's how you know you're doing it right. That's oh, that's so beautiful. Now on the the website, do you have for the uh, for the packs? Do you have like a list of specific items that you're looking for, or can they just we send do. like general? Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. So there's a number. We even have kind of an Amazon registry gift link. You can go click on that, and there's links to bulk items that you can just add to your shopping cart and send. I update the numbers all the time. In fact, I've got a whole bunch of stuff I've got to count and add up to the numbers. Uh, right now, but all, it's all on marywar.com. You can see what's left, what we already have. Like I said, the food is done this year, which is huge um, in terms of, you know, turkey breast and all the sides and the stuffing. So uh, we get to focus all of our, our attention on the kindness kits and warm winter clothing now. Socks. We always need warm winter socks. Yes. You can never have enough of that, especially, you know, people don't understand how cold it gets in the desert. It's freezing. We get snow. Yeah, <laughs> we you get guys snow do. Up we, here, so. we had our little blizzard for a day. 
right. earlier this year. <laughs> so it's always exciting when it happens to Vegas. Yes. But you guys, I mean, you guys actually live in a much colder climate, but you're also acclimated to uh, deal with the heat in the summer. So right. that when you're acclimated like that, it is a much more bitter cut to the bone cold than like okay. when I was growing up in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Michigan. That just made me cold though. Thinking about too. So. <laughs> well, Scott, I can't thank you enough for having me on and helping me spend the word on these things. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, thank you. And you know, like I said, I had a feeling that you and I could just go on and on and on, but uh, we'll have to come back and talk to us more uh, after uh, it's all done and you have a moment to calm down and tell us uh, about the success that. that you had this year. Thank you so much, not just for coming on the show, but for doing well beyond your part to make the world a, a better place. So we need so mm-hmm. much more of that and uh, so much more focus on on the good and helping each other uh, get to where we all want to be. Be a giver. This is what kindness looks like. Bam. I love it. <laughs> thank you, Chase. You take care and thank you, uh, thank you and come you see us well. again. Would love it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I don't know about you guys, but right now my heart is just damn warm. And I I just want to like do a million different things right now in this moment. Uh, Thank you so much, Chase, for coming on. Thank you for all you do and for all of the volunteers that help you. Thank you as well. Uh, It's amazing how simple it is to make a difference in people's lives and how quickly it can grow and spread that joy and help to other people that need it. Please click on the links, do something in your community, do something to make a difference uh, in this world. Anyone can do it. And it's very easy to do. So thank you guys for joining me. Please remember to share, especially this episode, share, like, enjoy, uh, ratings, reviews, anything that you can do to help spread the word for not just me, but for Chase and all the people that I bring on the show that are making a difference in the world. I'll be back on Wednesday with my regular episode. Tonight, catch D. Wallace on Lifetime Christmas in Louisiana. Thank you guys. Cheers. Cheers.